Great. Uh, welcome, Dr. Khan, to Health Tech with Purpose. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So, how's how's Chicago so far, and how's things going on? Chicago's crazy weather. Sometimes yeah. it's summer. <laughs> next day it's winter. So uh, that's uh, interesting. I mean, Hims has been. I'm I'm surprised to see how big it's become. Yeah. I remember the days when only we five thousand attendees, and now it's you know out of the keynote this morning, you couldn't even go through the corridors. So it was pretty packed. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Dr. Khan, we would like to know a little bit more about you. So sure. why don't we start with your quick introduction? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm Khan Siddiqui. I'm currently the Chief Medical Officer and Chief Strategy Officer at Hyperfine. Hyperfine made world's first portable MRI scanner nice. uh, that is FDA cleared. Um, my journey started um, a long time ago in Pakistan. Went to uh, med school there and moved to the U.S. for my training. Uh, did my training at NYU and at Geisinger Health System. I uh, became a radiologist, uh, but was from day one very interested in health IT and software and all my academic research work really focused on uh, computer applications in, in medical imaging. Uh, and at that time, I thought that there should be a dedicated training program that combines imaging and, uh, and technology together. So convinced uh, University of Maryland to start United States first imaging informatics nice. fellowship program, led that program for a few years, I trained most of the radiology IT leaders in the country. And when I moved to University of Maryland, this is 2003, I think, yeah. my interest in academic research became all machine learning. Nice. Um, so these are early days before nobody was even talking about AI. And um, uh, and then from there, I uh, got recruited by Johns Hopkins, so moved to Johns Hopkins as, as uh, director of Biomedical Imaging Informatics, um, and a lot of the early work I did in machine learning uh, in those days, and um, then got recruited by Microsoft in 2007 timeframe, and um, and spent uh, four or five years at Microsoft working in different capacities in healthcare, leading medical imaging, leading AI staff. Um, 2012, left Microsoft to start my next startup called Higgy. Okay. So Higgy is a uh, medical uh, device slash uh, population health hypertension management company. So we did deliver uh, hypertension management solutions through kiosks and grocery stores and pharmacy. Okay. Scaled that to um, 12,000 devices deployed in North America, wow. about 60 million patients on the platform. And then we exited uh, as part of, a, uh, we were acquired by Babylon Healthcare as one of their 4.2 billion SPAC transaction. Uh, and then uh, since then, I've been on the board of multiple different companies, helped former employees launch theirs, uh, and uh, working on Hyperfine. Great, great. Uh, great to meet you. Great to have you sure. here, uh, you know, with all that you have done so far. Uh, uh, amazing journey, I would Thank say. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, can you can you give us more details about Hyperfine and, uh, you know, what's, what's sure. the solution about and, you know, just to understand a bit more? Yeah, Hyperfine really started, it's a very mission-driven company, and the company is founded by Dr. Jonathan Rothfeld, uh in 2015 with this idea that, you know, how do we get MRI scanner to the patient's bedside? Yeah. And how do we do it in a cost-effective manner so that we can make imaging accessible to the globe? Uh, 91% of humans don't have access to advanced medical imaging. Yeah. And uh, so that's what the mission was and how we can approach it. Um, so, you know, first few years, really, because this is a very challenging problem. 
Um, we had to invent a lot of different things to even make it possible to do imaging uh, in a, at a patient's bedside. If you think of a traditional MRI scanner, um, it requires a Faraday cage. Yeah. It, it, it's so sensitive that it requires, you know, a copper uh, shielded rooms so that interference from external environment don't come into play. Uh, it requires special air conditioning system to maintain temperature. It requires special light fixtures yeah. because they all interfere with everything else. And then plus, because of the magnetic safety point of view, you have to have special devices, special instruments in the room. You can't just bring anything in. You can't bring a bed in. You can't bring an oxygen tank in the room. So there's a lot of uh, complexity around that. Most of the traditional MR scanners are built uh, are sub using superconducting magnets. So yeah. they require helium, which is very expensive, or some other rare uh, gas to to cool the magnet down, and and it requires power as much as a nuclear submarine does just to get the uh, uh, you know temperature down for the super magnet superconducting magnets to work. So we had to think through like how do we do this? Yeah. How do we image without a, without a Faraday cage? So we, had to, we came up with this noise cancelling technology to cancel out environmental noise, same way headphones cancel um, background noise. Where yeah. We had to think through, you know, we couldn't use any magnets because that would have been cost prohibitive plus the infrastructure needed for that. So we moved to permanent magnets. So how do you then figure out what the right ore of a magnet is to, to be able to do this? And we had to have it such a low field strength so it was safe. And we didn't wouldn't have things flying around the room because <laughs> of the magnet, so we went down to a ultra low field, a 0 0.06 Tesla. A traditional MR scanner is about 1.5 Tesla. Wow. So ours is 0 0.064 Tesla uh, unit. And then you know putting it on a wheel and driving it around inside the hospital uh, and making sure it's safe. So it required a lot of these inventions. Um, the, the biggest challenge doing this is very low signal to noise ratio. Yeah. But what has happened is. There has been 40-fold increase, you know, advancement in electronics, in compute power, in uh, image processing techniques, AI, all the stuff. So we took advantage of all those things to be able to then generate images where the SNR is so low uh, on these images and, uh, and using really deep learning based reconstructions to create image diagnostically. So the vision really was to make this possible. And, um, and it felt impossible. And we always say that there are three stages of a product. First is impossible to do, then it's become difficult to do, and then it's done. Yeah. So, and that's how it was. Um, and now, you know, the device is cleared uh, in the US and Canada, UK, uh, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, expanding globally also. Nice, nice, nice. So, uh, you know, uh, what's what's the oral strategy? Uh, how does a patient kind of use the device? Like, uh, what's the first point where they are get introduced to the device? So, our fo commercial focus has been neurocritical care. Okay. Uh, neuro ICU or ICU where brain uh, okay. is somehow affected. Um, the reason is that we looked at all the possible scenarios where MR can be used, and we looked at who are the least served population in a hospital. Okay. And the patient in the ICU that has some kind of brain trauma, brain injury, stroke, or whatever it is, that patient is very risky to move. They're in the ICU, they're you know, the ventilator, yeah. multiple equipment on top of it, and and to move them, it's expedition. Yeah. Right. You need the nurse going with them, the doctor needs to go with them, respiratory therapist, whole team needs to go yeah. down to radiology and takes two to three hours to get these imaging done. So that's what we focused on. These are the most uh, patients that will have the most value from it. And that's how we commercially focused on. 
yeah, I mean, there are a lot of use cases. There are outpatient use cases, pediatric use cases, but our commercial focus has been in the U.S. and North America, basically, is uh, uh, ICU as the primary region. Okay. And, you know, it's a brand new device, brand new category, so it has to go through this diffusion of innovation yeah. normally happens. The innovator, the lead adopter, the lead majority type of thing. So we are still in that, you know, early adopter kind of phase of it where a lot of people are, are using it, developing evidence around how to properly use the device, what are the benefits of it, and things like that. I think what, what I'm really excited about the future around the device is that that our, our strategy was to make images look like how 1.5 key images are right. supposed to be so that we shorten the learning curve. Yeah. But we haven't taken advantage of the, the properties of ultra-low field, which are different where you can actually do things that a high field examiner cannot do. But that means brand new techniques and it'll take a long time for people to understand what that means and yeah. learn. So I think I'm really excited as we go into that direction and start building uh, techniques that are taking advantage of ultra low field, that is gonna be when things really will be exciting. Yes, for the yes. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, uh, the, the amount of innovation that has gone into it um, after listening to it, that amazes me, right? It must be, so what, what was the, you know, when did you start putting things together and how much time did it take to kind of actually bring the product to reality? Yeah, so yeah. I think the first two years were just R&D ex experimentation to see how can we solve some of these challenges yeah. we have. And I think 2017 yeah. was when we kind of figured out the architecture and what's going to be. Nice. And then there were a lot of iterative approaches. It was classic iterative development. What will it take to get it to where it is? Um, and then in 2019, we submitted for our first FDA clearance okay. and uh, rest is history. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, help us if there are any cases uh, today that that are using this and what's the impact it has caused. Like if there is a case study that you'd like to share, uh, you know, and like the old ways versus uh, the yeah. hyperfine way. So would, would love to understand. So in that. multiple, multiple use cases, I mean, they're all on our website. Uh, people can take advantage of it and, and look at it. But um, I'll tell you what the one that excited me a lot. Yeah. Right. So we had a request from Raising Malawi Foundation to 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 buy a scanner for uh, in Blantyre, Malawi, in Saint, uh, Mercy St. James Hospital. The entire country of Malawi did not have an MRI scanner. Wow. Zero. Scanner. Not even the normal ones. No. They used to have okay. an old one that broke. And okay. Then the so patients were driving you know, 500 miles to South Africa for imaging. Wow. So that was, but but their request came in during the pandemic. So how do you deliver a scanner in Blantyre, Malawi yeah. without send anybody going there? Yeah. So having some of the, one of the clinicians from that team who was based in the U.S., going there, getting them to Connecticut or head office, training them how to, Get the scanner out of a crate, how to operate it, things like that. Yeah. And then being available over Zoom to help them where bandwidth issues are there, yeah. all the stuff. But they were able to get the scanner off the truck, uncreated, and scan the first patient four hours after delivery. Wow. Which is unheard of, right? Typically, that's, MR that's, scanner, yeah. when it's put in the hospital, it takes months, yep. you know, if not weeks, months to deploy and then do scanning. But that was just like unbelievable to see. And that patient that they scanned, they, they were suspecting cerebral malaria. And the MRI scanner showed it was not cerebral malaria, but it was what is called posterior reversible insofty syndrome. And all you have to do is control the hyper blood pressure. 
and patient recovers. The kid woke up in 48 hours while he was in coma and was discharged. Wow. Right. So that's making that's like that a, impact yeah. uh, without actually sending anybody to train or deploy the scanner that was probably, my, probably the mind number one. I mean, there are hundreds of other stories yeah. in the ICU, how we make a difference, uh, you know, um, testimony from patients, testimony from family members and how much it has made a difference but i think for me that was the amazing you know and, and that's that's very very interesting because as you rightly said right the time to actually start using the device yeah. uh, and that too i believe in such conditions not without too many medical experts being around setting it up and yeah and exactly. that's that's amazing so you know uh, in this journey uh, what are the challenges that you faced uh, especially while building the whole tech um, challenges to the whole tech. Um, I think if you think of challenges more of, um, I would think challenges more of brand new technology, right? Yeah. Technology adoption. Awareness. Um, awareness around stuff. So, so if I think of it, right, the need for the device is more in lower middle income settings. Okay. <clears throat> but there is no good playbook. On how do you launch a device first yeah. in LMIC settings? Uh, because in LMIC settings, when you go there, everybody's looking, they're so used to people already have used device, there's evidence how to yeah. use it, what standard operating procedures have been defined. So when you go and try to sell a brand new device in those areas, they ask those questions like, hey, how do you use it? I called my friends in UK, they haven't heard of this. There's a you new know, vertical that's been getting created. Yeah. Exactly, right? Yeah. So, so a lot of time as we think about LMIC settings and and we focused on US as a commercial entity because of the same reason, because we you know, saw a lot of resistance in LMIC settings because they just didn't, uh, uh, didn't have that early adopter mindset that needed to be developed. But I think that needs to change. I think it is changing, but it's going to take time to change. So I think challenges have been more around the around that aspect of it, you know, making sure we are the right early adopters and, and they understand that they are helping define what the standard operating procedure of this uh, technology is and how to use it. Um, device is a very simple device, to be honest. Once you figure out how to solve the big problems, yeah. then it's a magnet with a PC inside it. <laughs> it's collecting the signal and you're processing them and generating images, right? So, um, yeah, the, I mean, tons of patents and a lot of things to do it, but at the end of the day, you know, simple solutions are always the best solutions. Yeah. And I would say, like, you know, uh, sometimes it takes, you, you know, to get out of the existing mindsets. Yep. Uh, the analogy I use is that why is Tesla build the first best electric car and why didn't the car manufacturers yep. did? Because they couldn't get themselves out of the combustion engine. Yeah. So they could think of a hybrid vehicle but not a total electric vehicle. So same thing here, and when you think of MR, everybody thinks of that you have to have homogeneous magnetic field. Yep. Right? And because every MRI scanner is built on site, the magnet is built on site to make sure it's perfectly homogeneous. We had to throw that out the door because we could be parked next to a gigantic pillar with iron in it, steel in it, and it would distort the magnetic field. Yep. So once we threw that out, then suddenly like, oh yeah, then we don't need this, we don't need this, we don't need this. Okay, then we had to figure out how to correct those distortions, right? So it became a very different problem to think about. And, and, and those are the challenges just to figure out how, as you're removing constraints that were there because of what a high field is thought of. Yeah. Uh, and then once you remove them, then opportunities just opened up to Very solve them different ways. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you rightly said, like, because this is a new vertical, probably the mm -hmm. challenges are not same as, as that you 
would probably get to build a normal MRI machine, right? Yeah. So uh, one interesting thing that I feel, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but since you have taken this different approach to solve mm-hmm. a certain problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see the use of AI coming into play? Uh, because now you have a custom-built device uh, that you control in a way, you know, how it should work, right? And once you get images, do you see, you know, certain computer vision or certain AI and uh, then uh, showcasing recommendations that, hey, you know, the system feels that this could be the problem or, you know, maybe with, with this certain scan, yeah. Uh, in three months, six months, nine months, there could be certain issues. Uh, are you looking going, you know, going down that path? Yeah, so I think our first approach to using deep learning based techniques on our device was just improving image reconstruction, right? Okay. So instead of using the classic fast Fourier transform that everybody else uses or use compressed sensing and other image processing techniques, we actually build a deep learning neural network oh, wow. to do image reconstruction, right? So we take the low signal, um, raw data coming in in case space and convert that into image using a deep learning based neural net. Yeah. net. That was the first. So every single scanner is relying on that deep learning based reconstruction, oh, nice. uh, as well as the de- denoising that we do all based on AI. Yeah. Uh, then we came up with uh, clinical applications. So patients, because these are scanners are being used in the ICU. Yep. The likelihood for an ICU doctor or nurse to see the images before radiologist does is pretty high. Yeah. So how what are the things they need to know immediately that we can nice. show them? And then we built uh, AI-based application called Brain Insight, uh-huh. where it detects um, you know volume of ventricles, like if the ventricles are increasing in size in the brain or not, uh, as well as midline shift, there's the pressure uh, coming. So we launched that. It was cleared through FDA. Challenge in these scenarios always becomes that because new device, yep. we start to collect data. You need data to build model. Right? Yeah. So if you're building a model for any clinical application, you need thousands and thousands of patients yep. already scan on that, yep. right? We are in that early stage that we just don't have that yet. Yeah. Right? You could do synthetic generative AI to create those models, you know, but but you still need the ground truth data yep. to do that stuff. So I think as you see, as we adaption happens, as we hear from our customers what the needs are. We will enhance our brain insights uh, application to provide more and more of those kind of nice. solutions. So today's our focus has been near ICU and uh, care delivery and all that stuff. So, awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome. Pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, how do you plan to scale this up? What's what's the strategy? What do you mean by scaling in terms of uh, more and more people using it, more awareness, yeah. and is it is it you know by geography? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, or by enhancing the tech. So what's what's the plan overall? It's all of the above, right? <laughs> so I think the the idea of any startup that starts first, yeah. you have to narrowly focus to the initial customer who has the, or population who has the high, who's the least, least served or most underserved and will see the highest value because initial Commercial activities all about with early adopters and innovators about you know they buy because they believe in the value and the right, mission of the company. Yeah. They you know like the, these are the people who bought iPhone when battery didn't last a whole day, right? <laughs> and there were no apps on it yeah. because they believed in being different the way yeah. Apple was. Same yeah. thing here, right? So you have to be very focused on that. And as you know, we get into the early adopter to you know early majority phase when this becomes routine use. Uh, that's how you you scale around that aspect of it. So our focus has been North America to get to that uh, early majority there in parallel activities happening. So, you know, how do we optimize it to, so that it can do pediatric imaging? 
even though it's clear for pediatric, but you know, we need dedicated optimal sequences for our peds. We need dedicated optimal sequences for stroke imaging. We need dedicated optimal screen, you know, what about beyond brain? So, so those are a lot of R&D activities that we uh, do to figure out nice. what are next. So it's not just expanding from ICU to other settings. So, yeah. you know, general ward, outpatient settings, other scenarios, but also adding clinical applications on top of it. So it's pediatric, stroke, and other use cases around that. So you are, then, then you exponentially increase because both your care setting is changing, increasing in size, as well as the use cases in it, those care settings are increasing yeah. in size. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty nice. Okay, awesome. So coming to, you know, one of the last things that I would like sure. to know. Uh, so what is the purpose and, you know, what is that, where do you want to be basically? Yeah, so I think our mission is to democratize healthcare by making diagnostic imaging accessible to the globe. Awesome. Right. So as part of that, we partnered very early on with uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to to figure out how can this help in the LMIC settings. So one of the challenges that Gates Foundation had was that uh, they have a lot of, they're trying to address um, two big goals. One is uh, school readiness and academic achievement, especially in the female child. Mm and what are the causes behind it. So the initial focus they had was all on communicable diseases, you know, malaria, diarrhea, and all that stuff. But now that, that that being addressed, the next level of stuff's coming in, which is malnutrition, anemia, and their impact on stunting or brain development. But we don't have good biomarkers. So how do you understand if a baby's brain is growing um, today, right? Yes. Measuring head circumference just doesn't do it. It doesn't yeah. show white matter maturation, things like that. So can we use MR to develop biomarkers to understand brain development so that we can have the right interventions uh, happen in those early child yep. births yep. of, of the child and grow that stuff? But those biomarkers don't exist. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so with our device, it became possible to do this. Yeah. And uh, and so they have uh, deployed 45 scanners, about you know more than half of them, about two thirds of them in LMIC settings. So in India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, Uganda, uh, Malawi, Kenya, wow. um, Botswana, Zimbabwe, South Africa, all of these places where there are actually intervention trials happening where nutritional or anemia or or uh, hypoxic injury, uh, brain injury during childbirth, and they're looking at different interventions and using MR to be the biomarker to see which intervention performs better or not, especially in the first two years, or first thousand days yeah. of life of a, of a child. So I think that that is huge impact, right? It's yeah. really solving a global health problem by being used in that, in yep. that, in that scenario. Uh, and as I said earlier, when we started, right, 91% of the world doesn't have access to advanced imaging. Yep. And if we can make that possible through this device, that will be our, that's our purpose. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, you know, nice to know more about, uh, you know, all the things that you guys are doing. I sure. think it's pretty, pretty interesting and definitely going to, you know, create an impact on the healthcare system, as, yep. as you rightly mentioned. 
thank you for joining us today most welcome thank you for inviting yeah thank you for you know sharing your mission and vision i think Absolutely. it was it was pretty interesting and i hope everybody you know uh, learned a little more about you know the product uh, learned a little more about hyperfine what they are doing uh, i felt it interesting so yeah thank, thank you very you. much thank you thank you thank you for your time thank you yeah